afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Notre Dame Stadium. Zivikowski trying to get to the outside. He has blockers in front. Time for Zivikowski. Belong to beat. Shakes it off. To the five and touchdown. And now it is down. It is over. And the Irish have knocked off number one Clemson. Brady Quinn looking. Pump fakes. He rolls to the near side. Throws it. It's caught by Samaja. Inside the 20. Inside the 10. He's going in. Notre Dame has scored. Jones is the back. He's got it again. And Jones a letter room. Tony Jones makes a cut. Gets a block. And scores. Is that the play that will seal the playoff bid for Fighting Irish? Hello and welcome to Sons of Saturday Irish with Tyler Rojack and Luke Smith. I'm Tyler. He's Luke. And today... We get to talk about our absolute favorite game of the year, um, the annual beatdown of the Naval Academy. I'm kidding, obviously, but we won't harp on our reasonings for not liking this game anymore. Uh, we did that enough in the last episode, and you guys get the point. Um, but we will go over what we liked and didn't like from the game on Saturday, though, as Notre Dame respectfully pummeled Navy 34-6. to And then we'll dish out some free drinks to the top performers at the end. Uh, no guests today. We're hoping to bring back some recurring guests in the near future, though, so keep an eye out for that. And Luke, in last week's recap, we discussed a potential new segment idea dedicated to your interactions with Notre Dame fans in the crowd at home games, and that's where I want to start this week. Um, We can call it working title, Smith in the Stands. You traveled to South Bend for the third week in a row, so first of all, I commend you for that. Uh, You're a stronger man than me, but how was your experience this weekend? So that was almost in doubt for a while, too, because um, my ride, who I'm not going to name because he's a listener to this podcast, uh, got a really bad stomach bug Friday night. So I woke up to a text Saturday morning that wasn't going to be able to go. So I had to find a ride. So shout out to another avid listener of this podcast, Jack Walsh, who allowed me to uh, borrow his car and I could drive it down to South Bend for the day. It was perfect. But it's a beautiful South Bend day. Um to be honest, the stadium was actually more crowded than I anticipated. I thought it was going to be a pretty low crowd, but like, it seemed like the stadium was pretty close to full from what I could see. Um, you know, the pregame featured a pretty cool flyover, and, and Notre Dame Stadium, as the game went on, was pretty primed for pictures as the sunset. It was really just a beautiful day in South Bend, like 57 and sunny. Um, you know, Despite a boring game, I thought it was just kind of a perfect Saturday. I, I was actually up in the the pretty people seats in the, in the box so I had never been up there which uh it was it was it was cool uh, I don't think I could watch a big game up there because it's a little sterile to be honest and that's just you know where everybody that's shaking hands is is up there um so probably wouldn't have worked for any other game this year because they've all been really tense but it worked for Saturday's purpose um really enjoyed it up there and it was just kind of a even though it wasn't really a fun game, um, it was pretty relaxing. Um, nobody really saying anything around me besides the people I was sitting with. We were probably the most, the loudest people up there. So, and we weren't even being that loud because there just wasn't a whole lot to talk about. But yeah, I mean, just a just a perfect day in South Bend weather wise, and um, uh, just another kind of what we've gotten used to these last four years, right? Just kind of beating up on an inferior opponent, and that's it. Yeah, I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I actually had FOMO <laughs> when they showed the wide shots of the campus and of the stadium because that was like peak campus foliage, everything. Like as much as we should on South Bend, the Notre Dame campus is second to none. It's the prettiest campus I've ever seen. And at the end of the fall, that's when it's just at peak capacity. Oh, yeah. And it looked so perfect. And then as the sun was setting too, 
I love a 3.30 game. 3.30 yeah. is so much better than 2.30. It's, it's like awesome. way better at the end. Yeah. Especially when you're driving down that morning, it gives you that extra hour, which is huge. Um, you're right. You're right. The foliage in South Bend was just incredible. I, I uh, Because I was, you know, driving, I kind of just took in campus. And didn't, didn't spend as much time in the tailgates as I probably normally do, but I was walking around campus and just kind of blown away by the foliage. Um, it, was, it was a perfect day on campus. Very crowded. You know, um, I would, though be remiss. I, there are a couple of, of like things I want to change about the in-game experience. So I don't know if we want to consider <laughs> this a part of this segment or not, but I have a couple suggestions. You can shoot me down if you think any of them are dumb, but I want to say this. Well, I will say that for the first time on the broadcast, I could hear the dreadful child's intro, I guess, on third downs. I don't even know what you would call it, but whatever that is, is really bad. And it was coming through the broadcast and I was like, oh, okay, now I get it now because I didn't remember it from the Toledo game. But speaking of in-game experience, like that's the first thing that's got to go. That's got to go. Uh, it's like a mix of different things this little girl says. It's like, are you scared? I tried to warn you. And because I've like kind of complained about that multiple times on this and just in text, I actually had three different people text me during the game saying, I think I actually like this now because of how much it bothers you. So, <laughs> so that's okay, good. That's fair. It's hard to argue with that. You know what else needs to go? Uh, the in-game entertainment on the Jumbotron with those two girls who are interviewing people in the stands. Like, nothing against them, but it's just it's not entertaining. And today, or sorry, Saturday, was the single worst thing I have ever seen they had Rochelle, Isaac Rochelle yeah. <laughs> and his wife on the field, and they made them do TikTok dances. I'm not holding this against Isaac Rochelle. You could tell, and I know that his wife is somewhat of like a TikTok superstar or something, but like you could tell. Oh, he, really? Yeah. She, they had gone viral for like stuff, I guess. But you could tell he wanted nothing to do with this whatsoever. And it was just like, are you kidding me? And, um, I mean, we've talked about DJ Sticky Boots at length. I think he was up there again. He was pretty terrible again. Um, <laughs> I think the peak was when we were down 3 nothing after the first quarter, and they were playing, we're not going to take it. <laughs> and I'm like, well, they are taking it right now, actually. Maybe we won't. Maybe we'll stop taking it in a while. But right now, we are uh, just, just comical music selection. But more, I guess, um, just like as an actual solution to these issues, here's what I think. So... If you recall, like right before Notre Dame runs out of the tunnel, they play the boys are back by the dropkick Murphys. And then they cut to the prayer in the locker room. And then they weirdly then cut to Hell's Bells and have them run out (laughs) to Hell's Bells. Seamless transition yeah, yeah, from prayer to Hell's Bells. (laughs) Which is really interesting. Um, I'm okay with showing the prayer in the locker room, but they should just run out to the boys are back. Like the crowd gets jumping during that. And then it's like too delayed waiting for the team to run out of the tunnel and hell's bells like, yeah, it can be fine. I just don't think it does a, a, a good enough job. And I think that, you know, the other song really is what they should roll with. So that's my solution there. I, I think it would be better. Yeah. I like hell's bells, the song, but it's very slow developing. So mm-hmm. if that's like the last thing it needs some time to breathe and really get the crowd excited. And if you're already getting them excited and then go to that, it just doesn't really work. I can't get over going from a prayer to hell's bells though, yeah. especially for Catholic school. That's it's insane. We, we talked about this. Yeah, they literally show a priest and then cut to that. So go figure. But we talked about this. Like, obviously, the light shows the last two weeks before this were really cool. But <laughs> I kind of alluded to this, too, which is like the sterileness of the of the box and everything. The Notre Dame in-game experience, it kind of sucks. Like, I'm not going to lie to you. It's just not that exciting. You have fans doing the wave in the second quarter. Like, what is this? That's 
Despicable, yeah. The wave at any sporting event should not be allowed. I hate the wave. You, you go to other schools, and it's just so much more raucous. Um, and I get it, right? And Maybe this is just a recency thing because the Navy game was so boring and there wasn't a whole lot to get excited about, like I said. But there's just a lot of... Um, a lot left to be desired for the for the in-game experience. And, like, it's not necessarily a bad thing. I just think Notre Dame fans weren't Notre Dame. I wish they weren't Notre Dame fans. Well, when I was at the Toledo game, I remember they were doing, like, the lip-syncing thing with, I think, the two girls that you just mentioned, and they were going up to students in the crowd and asking them to lip-sync songs that they had never heard of. And it just created this weird, awkward experience, not just for them, but everyone who was there watching. So I agree, there's definitely some improvements to be made. I guess the Jumbotron is still relatively new. So we, uh, we're we undergoing a learning curve as Nuremberg figures out how to make the in-game entertainment a little bit more bearable. But we started off negative. Uh, normally we start off positive. So let's shift to the actual game that went down on the field and not in the stands. What did you like the most on Saturday? I'm going to start with Logan Diggs. Um, he really just runs like a back with some shit to his game. Kind of like Kyron Williams, honestly. He looks like Kyron like mm-hmm. when he runs. It's uh, it's just so refreshing to see that from a, a freshman running back. I mean, eight carries for 59 yards in the tutty, which is good for 7.4 yards carry. Um, his touchdown run I thought was really impressive and, and feels crazy to say this, because Kyron Williams was incredible once again, but I definitely feel very good about life after Kyron Williams having watched Logan Diggs the second half of the season. It's good. You know, obviously there were a lot of uh, maybe questions that he wanted to go to LSU last year. Uh, I'm glad that Notre Dame was able to convince him to stay because he's a heck of a ball player. Definitely. And we were hearing reports about it during camp where he's forcing his way onto the field and he's really showing it now. And I know we'll discuss Chris Tyree and his role a little bit, but like you said, it's really comforting to know that you have a five-star in Chris Tyree backing up Kyron Williams now, and then you got Logan Diggs, and then you have another true freshman, Audrey Gestime, who seeing pictures of him like will strike fear in your bones because he's <laughs> so big and scary for, I guess he's 18. I'd be interested to see his birth certificate. But yeah, I think we've, at least in the past few years, the talent and the depth of the running back position has been a concern. But ever since Lance Taylor has come on board, it's been the opposite. Guys are coming in, really talented players, high recruits, and then they develop even more as their career goes on. So the f- the future with Logan Diggs and really all the true freshmen is really bright. No, w- without question. Um, you know, Going to the other side of the ball, I thought that the defense just seemed really locked in. Um, I'm not sure I ever remember them forcing that many three and outs against the Navy team. Like it, it, Navy had two of their kind of standard Navy drives where it's like 14 plays, 70 yards or whatever, but they also never crossed the goal line. Um, and the defense just seemed really locked locked in. I think maybe went three and out on four of their first five drives, had maybe five three and outs for the game, only had 184 yards total, and, and they completed one pass. I was really hoping they were not going to complete a pass. Uh, I mean, you saw in the first half when they tried to go, I think as you said, like air raid for two plays, and it was two quick sacks. Yeah, they, they got in the red zone and went to yeah. an air raid. So. Go figure. Um, you know, after a rough week tackling last week, it was just good to see a really terrific game plan by Marcus Freeman um, and, and great execution by the team. I thought what Freeman did with Jack Kaiser playing him at safety, what they call the missile, um, was a, a master stroke and um, really played well. Um, I guess we don't need to get into this now, but I was just kind of sitting there like realizing that Kaiser was playing for Houston Griffith, and I was just like, has Houston Griffith done anything notable in four years at Notre Dame? Like, n- not bad either, just like nothing of note. I mean, the 
the first thing I think of, honestly, whenever I hear his name is still that video when he was a true freshman going against Michigan uh, in 2019 when he just got... Oh, he was a sophomore then. Sophomore, yeah. Well, he just got driven back like 13 yards in the sideline. I think the ref decided not to throw a flag because it was just so dominant. But I think that happened to me that night in Ann Arbor too, so <laughs> I feel for, for Houston. Yeah, it was... Um, you know, it, his career hasn't panned out like we had hoped, and he's not as much of a tackler, so this game really wasn't suited for him. But yeah... Uh, he got beat again. Um, he had that pass interference penalty. That was tough. But look, uh, if there's a game where he could step up and really make a name for himself, it could be this weekend against Virginia because we're really going to need some support on the back end. But we'll yeah. we'll dive more into that later this week. Right. No, without a doubt. Um, the last thing, Kevin Austin had a really big day. Six catches, 139 yards and a touchdown. And he should have had another touchdown and probably more yards. They were probably four or five plays where he was wide open and, and Cone just never saw him. Um, his catch on the deep ball, by, uh, which was thrown by Cone, actually a great throw along the sideline. Terrific catch and just really good to see him dominate in a game he was supposed to dominate. Um, he's been really solid since that terrible performance against Cincinnati. I know maybe there was a drop here or there and and people like to you know complain about that, but I think he's been really solid the second half of this year and and I'm, I'm hopeful and obviously think he probably will come back for a fifth year next year. I'm really excited to see what he can do next year, but a really good game for Kevin Austin. Definitely. He kind of reminds me of J.R. Smith in the way that he makes the most difficult catches just look easy. That catch on the sideline where he was able to catch it, never even tucked it, but his hands were so strong. He just caught it, clearly secured possession, got the foot in, and then went out of bounds. At first, I was nervous. Like, did he juggle it? But he actually has really strong hands, which then makes you wonder, like, how does he ever drop the ball? But you're right. Awesome game for him. Definitely his best game of his career. We'll see if he's able to come back for another year. But um, if you had to compare him to one other Notre Dame wide receiver, who do you think it would be? Because I've actually kind of struggled with that. Well, he's a big body. Mm-hmm. So I would say in terms of like his physical build and not overall like capabilities would be Michael Floyd. That's who he looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, again, he's not as good as Michael Floyd was. Devaris Daniels, um, I would say they're they're pretty similar in their styles because like when Devaris and TJ Jones were on the same team, I feel like TJ Jones is the one who moved around a lot. He could play slot, he could play outside. He was involved in the running game a little bit. That's not really what Devaris was doing, and that's not really what Kevin Austin does. He's more of a split out wide kind of take the batter. But um, yeah, he's a really good player. It's it's tough to like pigeonhole in with a comparison. But I would say Devaris Daniels in terms of like talent and skill set, because both of those guys. Both of them had up and down careers at Notre Dame, and but when they were on, it's seemingly unguardable. Yeah, I think that's a good comparison. I I kind of see him more as in the mold of a uh, Miles Boykin or uh, Maurice Stovall. Um, I, I think, yeah. but it is it's tough um, for whatever reason. But I was just curious what you thought about that. Yeah, he's a good player, and again against Virginia, we're we're gonna need him. Um, for me, I, I'd flip it to the other side of the ball. Got to give a shout out to Kurt Heinisch. Heinisch has played in more games than any other player in Notre Dame history. And I think Saturday was his best performance out of all of them, kind of by far. Um, he finished with a career high, 10 tackles, two tackles for a loss and a sack. And he plays nose guard, which is like the most thankless position in football, maybe outside of the offensive line. And rarely are guys able to put up a lot of stats at that spot just because they're in the middle of a crowd. They are dealing with double teams and stuff all game. So it's great to see Heinisch have a great performance, and then have that show up on the stat sheet as well. He received a second game ball of the season. 
he blew up everything Navy was trying to do when he, whenever he was in the game. And he kind of reminds me a little bit of Quentin Nelson. Not, I mean, Heinish is not nearly as talented as Quentin Nelson was or is now. But in the same way that like whenever Nelson pancaked someone or laid the wood on a dude, he would let him know. Like he talked a lot of trash and he had... He also, not necessarily the same eye black thing that Heinish has got going on, but he just looked mean and scary. Mm-hmm. And like Heinish's tackle against Virginia Tech when he just whipped the, that running back. The Hulk back smash. The yeah. That's what he posted on Instagram. Yeah. Too. And that's that's what it feels like. He's just a bully out there. And he was bullying Navy. They couldn't get anything going. Um, the second thing, sort of, I want to stick with the defensive line. Wanted to give some love to the D-line coach, Mike Elson, as well. Um, he might be one of the most impactful people in the entire program who... yeah doesn't really get a ton of credit. And again, he's like a D line coach, but he's also the recruiting coordinator. And this is his 12th season with Notre Dame. He's Brian Kelly's guy. This is his 11th time going up against Navy. And all that experience has clearly paid off because he had an answer as well as Marcus Freeman, but their scheme blended together, worked perfectly. They kept Navy guessing. They showed three man, four man, five man fronts. Navy was confused all day long. They didn't get anything going. Notre Dame had 12 tackles for loss or no gain. That's not even including the safety. Um, They ran 58 plays. Navy did. They gave its fullbacks 27 of those, and those plays totaled 78 yards. And, like, that's the thing with Navy. If they're able to get that push inside and that fullback can get going and get some room, that's when their offense can be at its its most effective, and that just wasn't the case. And a big reason for that was that D-line. It was also really good to see guys like Jacob Lacey uh, makes some plays too. Lacey's dealt with injuries a lot in his career. He was out there dominating, but honestly, it didn't matter who Notre Dame put out there on the D line because whoever it was just dominated the opponent. You're right, without a doubt. And it's funny you you brought up Kurt Heinisch. Um, we talked about that Virginia Tech game. That was the first game of his career where he had had three or more tackles, <laughs> and then uh, of course, like you know, whatever. Th- three games later, he has ten, uh, which is, I mean, so yeah, really prolific outings for him in his uh in his end of his seemingly never-ending career <laughs> i know that that con- concussion he had too it sounds like was pretty serious almost a career-ending one um so it's really i actually didn't hear that where'd you see that um that was i'm trying to remember where i read this um but i i, I don't i don't remember but anyways um it's also funny you bring up quentin nelson there because kurt Heinisch has been in notre dame so long that he had actually played with with quentin nelson he played in that 2017 georgia game him and myron both did yeah he's played in a ton of games this one was his best one cool to see um last thing i liked is it boring to like shout out kyron williams at this point i was gonna say like i just don't really know what else to say about him like it's like yeah <laughs> it's like you just kind of expect it but it's what he does. He's incredible. Right. He has a ho-hum, 17 carries for 95 yards. Uh, he's also very effective as a receiver. He <laughs> had seven catches. And that 20-yard touchdown run was incredible. Just the spin there at the end while he's already got a dude grabbing his ankle. Those are plays that we are just simply accustomed to seeing out of him at this point. But, like, you almost have to remind yourself, like, this guy's incredible. What he's doing is not normal. We need to appreciate that, especially now, because we only have probably, what, four more games of yeah. him in a Notre Dame uniform. So yeah, just, it's almost uh, obligatory, but like got to give a shout out to Kyron Williams. He is the franchise, as we said over and over again, he's the heartbeat of the team. He just had another great performance. And despite the slow start for the offense, like you could just count on him to sort of put the team on his back. He got some 
he got it going on the ground a little bit, ended up with two more touchdowns, and just just ride him basically until the wheels fall off because he is the team. Yeah, I mean, how about when he got flipped in the air and pretty much stuck the landing? Like, I, I thought he was going to fall and break his neck. I was like, what the heck is that? So that's two Notre Dame legends who have somehow just done a full flip in the middle of the field and been okay. The first being Golden Tate against um, Washington. <laughs> Washington. Yeah, in like 2009. Yep. when And he was having an incredible game too. And then that happened. You're like, oh my God, dude, just go down. But yeah. somehow they both just got right up after that. I, I don't know how that's possible. But then again, they're... You know, slightly more athletic than I am. <laughs> slightly. All right, let's go uh, back to what we didn't like, even though we started off a little negative. Uh, we'll keep it on the field. Okay, so I don't want to complain about Jack Cohn because I hate when people do that with quarterbacks. I think Cohn especially gets a lot of that unfairly. But I do feel like his numbers in the PFF grade from Saturday are a bit misleading. Um, finished 23-29 for 269 yards, and that's of course, is with that Braden Lindsay drop on the swing route. Um, and his PFF grade of 91.8 was the highest of any Notre Dame offensive player in any game all season. But I really felt like he left a bunch of plays on the table. Um, I mean, it was another game where your running back, Kyron Williams, has the most catches, and I think that speaks to how frequently he just defaults to checking down. That first drive where we went three and out, he had three separate receivers open on second down, including a waving Michael Mayer. Um, later in the game, missed a streaking Braden Lindsey for a touchdown as well down the sideline. Never saw him. Kevin Austin was open all day. Um, on yeah. Notre Dame's drive where they settled for a field goal early on, Austin could not have been more open streaking into the end zone, <laughs> and Cone just never saw him. Never saw him. It was weird, though, because when they showed the replay of that from the view behind the line of scrimmage, it happened simultaneously because Cone was actually looking in that direction, and then right when it's clear Austin is like going to break free, Cone moves his head to his right. And then, you know, this is where things we don't know, like what's his hot route there? Was he trying to look a safety off? Right. But, it was actually looking in that direction. I couldn't believe that he turned his head because it looked like, oh, he's going to be open right I here. mean, I called that as soon as they lined up. I'm like, he's going to be open for a touchdown here. And, and even on the 70-yard pass, that was the third play in a row. Austin was open on the same route. And in fact, as they were walking off the field celebrating the score, Austin had three fingers up in Cone's face laughing at him, telling him it was the third play in a row he was open. Also, with a good defensive back, that's a pick, maybe a pick six. Uh, the throw was questionable he thread the needle yeah, there, yeah. I, I don't know like I said I, I do like Jack Cohn a lot I just thought it was kind of frustrating how we played on Saturday and it was just like to see those numbers and like ah, I don't know that I buy that I thought he did not play very well um so it sounds crazy when he goes 23 or 29 for 269 I'm nitpicking a little bit I just I thought it left a lot to be desired yeah he resorted a little bit and well the entire offense said at least at the beginning a little bit to what they were doing in September um we talked a lot about how his average time of release um, has been way faster. It's been under two and a half seconds the past three games, and that's part of the hurry-up offense and the quick RPO schemes that the offense has been running. This week, uh, his average release time was 3.02 seconds, so over half of a second longer than what we've been seeing recently. I don't know how much of that is game plan. I don't know how much of that is him not seeing the field as well, but you're right. It was noticeable. Um, his average depth of target remained short. Like He kept throwing a lot of checkdowns. But you're right, maybe he just wasn't recognizing it. And also, good to give a little bit of recognition to Brian Newberry, the uh, Navy defensive coordinator, because he did have Notre Dame guessing quite a bit early on. He was throwing everything at them, showing six-man fronts, then dropping eight, all kinds of different stuff. They're blitzing from the second level 
a lot. And it looked like Cone struggled with that. And this is really one of the first times we've seen a team have the opportunity to prepare for this new look Notre Dame offense. And Navy did a pretty good job. Yeah, I suppose that's true. Um, you know, that's also just part of not having or having Cone in there. They can bring guys off the edge all day and just you can't keep them honest. I mean, we got to stop calling the read option with Cone even a read option because it's not <laughs> a read. He just gives the ball every yeah. time. But anyways, um, a more somber note, it was really tough to see Avery Davis go down on a non-contact injury. Yeah, and as we learned today, tough. towards ACL and it'll be done for the year. Um, outside of the fact that Notre Dame's receiver depth is now dangerously low with just five scholarship receivers. Davis sneakily has some of the most iconic plays for a Notre Dame player in my lifetime. Uh, he had the huge catch against Clemson last year, followed by the tying touchdown on that same drive, and, and also the huge touchdown against Virginia Tech this year prior to that two-point conversion that tied the game. He had the huge touchdown against Purdue that kind of broke the game open as well. Um, you know, just a guy that bounced around three or four different positions after coming in as a quarterback. and He just never gave up, became a captain, and, and an integral part of the offense, frankly, a part I thought they should have used more often. Um, and, it, and it sucks to see it probably end like this, although Kelly did say he would be welcome back for a sixth year should he so choose. Uh, I don't know what that recovery looks like. I don't know what Avery Davis's thoughts are on, on staying at South Bend for a sixth year. Um, but... Um, Really sucks for him to see that. Obviously a really well-liked player, and, and he's been critical for us, so I was really sorry to see that. Yeah, it sucked. That was on Kyron's touchdown run, and as soon as you saw the replay, you could see Davis go down and immediately clutching his knee, and it, that just was so unfortunate. And yeah, you, like you said, Notre Dame, they got a lot to figure out at receiver, and Davis has been on the field for 497 snaps this season. That's more than any other receiver that's more than Kyron Williams. That's more than pretty much everyone except Michael Mayer, Jarrett Patterson, Josh Lugg, and Cade Madden. So I don't know what they're going to do there. Uh, we can get into that in a little bit. But yeah, first, just so unfortunate for Avery. They showed him with a towel on his head. It looked like he had some tears on his eyes. And you just hate to see that. And this year, man, it just feels like every week there's something new on the injury front. Yet Notre Dame has been able to keep winning. So that's great. But like, we're well past the point that I thought was sustainable for Notre Dame to continue winning given the injuries that they've had. But I don't know, man, we'll, we'll, we'll see, but you're right. That was really rough. And, uh, you know, we just wish him the best and hopefully if he's able to come back soon and start playing football again, whether that's at Notre Dame or in the NFL, wherever it is. Absolutely. And you mentioned the injuries, Drew White tore his PCL, I guess, in the week leading up to the game. And I know that he was injured the week before. I, I didn't see if it was the same injury, but Kelly basically said after the North Carolina game, that if they had the choice, they wouldn't have played him against North Carolina. But basically, White begged them to let him play, and they just don't have the depth. But uh, I guess he's going to continue playing with a PCL tear. Basically, it kind of sounds like what Joe Schmidt was telling us about his senior year, where he was just hurt the entire year. Um, that's kind of what it's turning into for Drew White. But the last thing I wanted to talk about that I wasn't – I don't know if disliked is a term, but just like I'm going to contradict myself a little bit because I was just lauding Logan Diggs, but – just kind of confused by Chris Tyree's usage. Um, last week, they had him back for kickoffs, didn't have an offensive snap. He obviously still recovering from a turf toe injury. I couldn't tell if that was just, you know, as a decoy or what the deal was. This week, I think he actually did return one kickoff. If I, I think he did. Um, I know Solano yeah. did. But 247 um, or 247 said he had nine snaps. I'm not sure if that includes the three kickoffs Navy had or not. I can only really remember him having one or two offensive snaps. I think he had like a carry. Um, you know, I, I just don't know what yeah. I, I don't know what the deal is there. Is it, was it one carry? Well, he had 
He was in for a whole series, and he actually had a uh, huge, huge blitz pickup. Like, mm-hmm. had a safety coming off the edge untouched and got in the way. I don't remember. Notre Dame had a positive play, but I remember thinking, like, oh, God, Cohn's dead, and then he stepped up made a play. But, yeah, he had one carry for a single yard, but he did have three catches for 15 yards. So he was a little bit involved, but... Oh, wow. Maybe I just wasn't paying attention. Well, you know, you're right. I mean, he was only on the field for, for nine plays, and that does include kickoff. So he wasn't really a part of the play. I'm just... I wonder what the deal is there. Uh, I mean, Diggs is running hard, no doubt. Like I said, I, I like him a lot, but I feel like they can use Tyree more, given that he's healthy. Uh, Mike Goolsby actually made a comment on his show over at Blue and Gold that he thinks that Diggs is actually running with more conviction or, or confidence than Tyree is, and I kind of agree with that. Like, he just looks a little bit more comfortable. But I wonder if we'll see him in the slot at all with Davis out. Um, Kelly said today it'll likely be Lorenzo Styles in the slot, but I feel like you can use Tyree there too. Yeah, actually, that's where I can pick up because one of the first things I didn't like was the uh, overall lack of Lorenzo Styles in the game plan. And I and this is nitpicking too, and I certainly don't want to be like OBJ's dad and be <laughs> like, why isn't Blank getting the ball? But uh, yeah, I guess I was surprised by his lack of involvement in the game plan and given the trajectory he's been in the past few weeks – you would assume that he'd continue that, but again, he's a true freshman, and you know a lot of times the development of a true freshman throughout the season is not linear. There's ups and downs, there's ebbs and flows, there's there's good games, and there's bad games. But keeping it on, on that note about Styles moving into the slot, this is obviously going to be something very interesting to follow. Um, I honestly thought that Notre Dame would move Lindsey to the slot just mm-hmm. because he's a senior, he's been in the offense longer. I felt like that would be an easier transition but maybe this is a way for Styles to just get on the field more. Maybe they'll just simplify the offense a little bit. Um, there's been some discussion as well about Chris Tyree playing in the slot. That seems like a tall ask uh, for a running back to just kind of move permanently to receiver. Now, I'm not saying that yeah. he can't run five wide and then he could play off the tackle so he's still lined up in the slot, but just acting solely as a receiver. That seems like a, a stretch to me, but I don't know. How do you think that's going to play out? I mean, I don't think they would move him there full time. I think there's some opportunities to get him on a linebacker there and just like make a play, like just throw a good ball. I, I think that might mix. Yeah, bubble screen. I'd like that. Yeah, but I don't know. I, I mean, it sounds like it's going to be Styles. I think I like that personally, um, and I don't want to like slander Braden Lindsey. Like, I think he's a good player, and like I said, Cone missed him on um, that one play. He also. He drops that swing pass and then makes a really tough catch on the two point conversion, uh, where there was some spread drama involved for a, for a moment. So that was that was nice to see. But um, I, I do think I think Lorenzo Styles has better ball skills than Lindsey. I, I don't know. Maybe maybe that's just uh, I haven't seen it from Lindsey, but I, I kind of like Styles there in the slot. Yeah, this week Tommy Reese's creativity is going to be tested because he's going to have to come up with a lot of things on the fly this week, given Avery Davis's injury given the movement of players at the receiver position and now potentially the running backs moving out there. I'd like to see Michael Mayer um, in the slot more as well. He's actually had a quiet past few games ever since he uh, missed the Virginia Tech game due to injury. I think the signing percentage is like, oh, he looks 75% or, oh, he looks like 82. Like, that's kind of stupid. We have no idea how he feels. And I think he looks fine. Cone just doesn't see him. Yeah. <laughs> Which is hard because he's the best player on the field. <laughs> Exactly. And he's played, you know, so many snaps, but really it's just been a quiet past few games. He had four catches this week for 28 yards. Cone did have him on that over route. He overthrew him there. That could have been a big chunk play. 
Um, only had four catches for 51 yards, but he had 30 on one play against North Carolina. A little bit more involved against USC. But yeah, I, he's the best player, arguably, on the entire team. Like That's just simply not enough looks for him. So maybe this will allow him to move around a little bit, play a little bit more like a receiver would, and get the ball more. But honestly, anything that leads to Michael Mayer getting the ball more, I fully support it. Absolutely, without a doubt. Last thing I want to say about what I didn't like is NBC kept going with this weird camera angle. They called it the sky cam, but it wasn't really a sky cam. It's not like way up there. It was really low to the field and right behind the backfield, especially when Navy had the ball. And I don't know if this was to give the primary cameraman a break because I was actually thinking about this during it. It's probably impossible to be a cameraman trying to follow who has the ball from that far out when Navy's running the triple option because yeah. there's a lot of times you're like, the camera would move real slowly, and you could tell he's like, oh, he or she has no idea who has the ball. They're just trying to like not commit to anything, and then all of a sudden you'll see someone make a tackle, and then the play is over. But this view made it so confusing because you're still trying to find the ball just like everyone else. It's a little bit easier to see, but still a little bit difficult. But your depth perception is way off. There's one play where I thought Notre Dame kind of stuffed Navy for like a two-yard gain and ended up being like eight yards in a first down. So it's like, okay – this sucks. We, we got to ditch it. And then when they drop back to pass, then it, you're really screwed because you have no idea who's where. But yeah, that was one thing. Um, again, that might just be a one-off because of the Navy game, but I hope we don't see that ever again. And, and NBC, to their credit, whenever they've tried to do new camera angles, whenever people are like, hey, this sucks, they stop doing it. That's so true. Maybe that'll happen again this time. Yeah. I mean, that just kind of goes back to my point about the in-game experience extending to the viewing experience is not very strong, but whatever. But we'll say though, uh, Drew Brees and Mike Tirico continue to be great. They were even better this week. All right. You want to get to who's drinking free this week? Yeah, I'm going with Jack Kaiser. Um, hell of a game playing a position he's not natural to in, in safety. Uh, they were calling it the missile. Uh, today, Brian Kelly compared him and his contributions to the team to Drew Tranquil. That's very lofty praise. I don't think Kelly just throws that around. So really a masterstroke by Freeman uh, to move him there for this game, and, and it paid off in a great performance by Jack Kaiser. So um, I'm, I'm going with – where's he from? Like Royal Center, Center Indiana, uh, the, the pride yeah. of whatever that town is. He's, he's getting all the free drinks. I'm going to keep it in Indiana, keep it with the hometown boys. I'm going with Chase Ketterer. Um, you might not know that name if you're listening to this podcast. It's because he's a walk-on true freshman. He's a hometown kid. He grew up in New Carlisle, Indiana, just 20 miles west of Notre Dame. reason he's drinking free this week is because he was the scout team quarterback all week in practice. And as we heard after the game and from coaches and players, apparently the scout team offense going against the starting defense for Notre Dame was actually more competitive than what we saw on the field Saturday when Notre Dame was playing Navy. Um, so basically, Chase Ketterer, was a standout quarterback at New Prairie High School. They ran the triple option there, and he ran for nearly 2,500 yards during his senior year. So then Kelly offered him a spot as preferred walk-on, one, because he's a good athlete, clearly. 2,500 rushing yards is incredible. Um, And a big reason for that, though, was his familiarity with running the triple option, and he knew that Chase could be a great asset when the team was preparing to play Navy. So he led the scout team offense apparently to a couple of scoring drives in the week of practice, which is more than Navy could say this week. Mm-hmm. And his effort in practice earned him a couple reps on special teams. And he had a huge hit late in the game on kickoff coverage. 
uh, special teams coach Brian Polian actually tweeted out a video of it from the All-22 angle. And I really encourage all of you to check it out if you haven't already. It's on our Twitter feed as well because the reaction of all the guys in the Notre Dame sideline when he makes the hit is awesome. They all storm him basically on the field. It could have been in sportsman like You can see Kyron running, sprinting down the sideline to go um, give him a hug. And basically, he's a freshman, so maybe we'll put this drink on hold for a couple years, but it sounds like he's going to be an important piece on the scout team for a while and uh, maybe even on special teams now. So he might rack up some more free, free drinks in the process. Absolutely. What did you think of that? All that talk about how intense the uh, scout team reps were against the defense last week. What do you make of that? Apparently it had some collateral damage because uh, Drew White tore his PCL because of this. I mean, I think it was probably just Freeman challenging the defense more than anything after a pretty bad performance the week before. Um, and, you know, it's a tough offense to have to cover. So it doesn't really surprise me, but I think it's more so just an internal challenge after a, a pretty bad tackling performance the week before. Yeah, and one of the things about the Navy game is, like, the defense really had its best game of the year. And then now it's just a question of, like, okay, how much can you uh, take from this game and then carry that over into Virginia because the two teams could not be more different? No, they really couldn't be. See, it's kind of like an air raid, I guess, again this weekend for really the third time in four weeks. So at least we're accustomed to it in that sense. But, yeah, we'll see. All right, you got any more thoughts in the Navy game before we wrap this up? No, I think that's it. All right, that's a wrap for this episode of Sons of Saturday Irish. I'm certainly looking forward to not talking about a game against the Naval Academy for about a calendar year. Uh, so that's great. But from Luke and myself, thank you for listening. We'll be back later this week to get you ready for Notre Dame's primetime matchup on the road against Virginia. Um, in the meantime, please rate, review, and subscribe, and give us a follow on all our social media accounts at Sons of Sat Irish. Stay safe, and we'll talk to you soon.